personal responsibility and nothing more. So, you know, you can have an experience, I think, of anything at any level. It's not wishing things away or deciding that they don't exist. The guides would actually say, if you can see or know the presence of the divine in whatever you see, whatever you see is actually altered and changed by that knowing. That's vibrational accord. That's how things are lifted. So the one who lifts to the upper room has to be there. You can't lift something to the 10th floor from the basement. You have to get there and then lift it to you. And this isn't done through strength of will. It's done through alignment. Absolutely. So the aspect of self that operates in the higher level by nature of presence is already lifting because that's the teaching of co-resonance. Yeah. I hope that means. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. It's always wonderful to be with you again. Well, look who's in the house. It's Paul Selig. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you for having me. Paul and I chatted five years ago when uh, you were still teaching. You were still teaching at uh -huh. university and uh, you were undecided about whether you would leave your job and become a full-time Mm -hmm. spiritual communicator, teacher, whatever label you want to put, channel. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll go into that. Let me read out your bio for people that don't know who you are. And I'm sure that most people watching my show does. I know that my little tribe, uh, we have big friends or fans there who love your work. So Paul Selleck is an author and a medium or a spiritual channel, is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. Born in New York City, Paul received his master's degree from Yale. A spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. We discussed that in the show we did five years ago, if people want to hear more about uh, Paul's awakening story as a way to gain a context for what he was beginning to experience he studied a form of energy healing and began to hear for his clients described as a medium for the living paul has the unique ability to step into and become the people his clients ask about often taking on their personality and physical characteristics he hears them telepathically in his breakthrough work of channeled literature and we're going to go through the books because you've been busy you've been busy i am the word is the first book the book of love and creation second book the book of knowing and worth the book of mastery the book of truth the book of freedom and his latest book beyond the known realization Paul has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine multidimensional nature. Paul offers channeled workshops internationally and serves on the faculty of the Amiga Institute, the Kripalu Center. How do you say that? Kripalu. Kripalu Center? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, where's that? That is in the Berkshires in Massachusetts in the U.S. Oh, lovely. I haven't heard about that one. The Esalen Institute. I've heard about those ones. <laughs> also a noted educator, he served on the faculty of NYU for over 25 years. He directed the MFA in creative writing program at the Goddard College for many years and he now serves on the College Board of Trustees. <laughs> You're busy. <laughs> How do you get all that in as well as traveling the world channeling? I don't have a personal life. It's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing there. So why not? Oh, darling one. Well, let me ask you, how have you been? Last, look, we, we had this scheduled for, I don't know, a few weeks yeah. ago. And yeah. you were evacuated from Costa Rica, right? Pretty much, yeah. I live in New York City and I was doing um, an event, which now is my last trip live event um, in Costa Rica. And while I was there, New York City shut down. And um, then I thought I might stay in Costa Rica. And then the State Department started evacuating um, U.S. citizens, telling them to get out of the country. So I could have stayed, but I actually found a friend who found me a little cabin to stay in in Maui. And so I came to Maui. So I left to go to New York for one week with one suitcase. My dog is in somebody else's care. I actually moved apartments while I was in Maui in New York. So my whole life has been turned upside down, but so many people's right now. So I don't have much to complain about, truthfully. I'm, I'm a lovely place with friends nearby. And, um, but yeah, I got, I got bounced out of Maui. I mean, bounced out of Costa Rica. Well, I have to say you look well. I think you look well. I think Maui's, Thank uh, you. I think Maui's been kind to you. I think it has too. Yeah. It's, it's a special place. It must be a different vibe. Uh, you know, as an empath, it must be so different mm -hmm. to New York City. It is. Yeah. Let me ask you this, as someone who is mm -hmm. as sensitive as you, mm -hmm. how do you, because I, I, I get a lot of empaths, you know, complaining about being empaths. And I think to myself, it's such a gift to be an empath, you know, don't mm -hmm. make it your curse. How do you as a sensitive live inside a big, crazy city like New York City? Well, you know, I was born in New York City, so it's always been home for me. It's what I know. And, you know, as a result of, you know, being a native New Yorker, I lived in Massachusetts, you know, for junior high and high school, but, you know, I, I never learned to drive. I barely know how to cook. New York is great if you don't know how to drive and you don't know how to cook and you can walk everywhere because you can get anywhere within an hour or so, you know, on foot on the island. Mm -hmm. um, but so, and I'm used to it. And um, this is actually the longest, I think, that I've been in one locale, you know, without traveling someplace where I haven't been showing up someplace to channel. And I have to say, it's, I'm feeling the difference. It's remarkable. I sleep better here than I've slept in 10, 20 years. And, and I'm finding that it's less fraught. I mean, I'm on an island, six hours time difference from all of my friends. So I get up and they're finishing their day and it's quiet and I'm getting a lot less sort of a psychic hubbub than I'm used to. But I love New York, you know, it's what I know. And um, it's kept it real for me. You know, it's not a very new agey place. And I'm not a very good new ager. I never have been. But I'm, I'm a good New Yorker. So now, what do you mean by that? Now, what, what is a new ager? <laughs> Look, I'm a city slicker too, born and raised <laughs> yeah, in Sydney, but I'm definitely a new ager. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean it to be a disparaging remark at all. It's just 
you know, I've never been very airy fairy, and I've always had my own skepticism around things. And mm-hmm. I, I, I lose patience at times. I think when everything sort of, you know, gets turned into, uh, I don't know, rainbows and unicorns, you know, and and a happy meme. At times, you know, there there are real challenges and there are real growths and. You know, there's been talk in the last few years around spiritual bypassing, and I, I understand that. You know, I do think that it's nice to say, you know, well, he created his poverty and it's not my problem. Well, it is your problem, in my opinion. I think we are our brother's keepers. And I think that there can at times be a sort of self-indulgent that comes with this kind of culture, which I think we're growing out of, I have to say. I see great things with the young people who seem to be waking up, you know, and are much more focused on community and things like that. When I was coming into this stuff, I told a story recently the other day, you know, I was very broke. It was a year out of graduate school. I was newly sober, I think. I had no money at all. And I got invited to some sort of new age talk at somebody's essentially penthouse. I mean, it was this everybody, you know, people were wearing thousand dollar crystals, everybody was wearing white. And I, you know, this is the the late 1980s, early 90s, you know, so it was a a, a time. And I remember walking into this place and realizing you had to take your shoes off and I had holes in my socks, I couldn't (laughs) afford them. And being terrified and sort of sitting there miserably for, you know, an hour and, you know, I was just sort of thinking, you know, and I was in this really gritty place, like spirituality, this is hard, this is work, you got to do this to stay alive. And people were saying, oh, you know, I watered the jade plant today, and it talked back to me, and I'm going, <laughs> you people make me crazy. And I never quite left some of that, you know, and I enjoy it. Um, I... I'm grateful for the people who have found my work, but my work, the work that comes through me, you know, isn't just sort of of the feel good, get what you want variety. It's, it really requires a lot of accountability. I'm not always up to it. God knows. I wish it were easier. I wish it were, you know, sillier and, you know, happier. Um, but it's, I, I have no say in, in, in what's delivered through me by way of the books. I mean, I'm a channel. I'm a radio. I don't get to decide the content. I can question the content, which I often do, but it's not for me to decide what they're going to talk about. And, and rarely does it confirm what I want to hear. You know, I want to hear that I'm done. There's no more work. I get to go marry somebody and you know, stay in Maui and, <laughs> stay you know, in Maui and sit on the beach. Everything cocktails. Nothing ever gets exactly right. Well, maybe, maybe a coconut water, but yeah. <laughs> well, it does require a lot of accountability. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But I was just, you know, Sarah sent me the book, uh, the latest book, Uh and I never got around to reading it except for this morning. I'm putting on makeup and listening to the computer read it to me. And it just, seriously, Paul, my heart just sings when I hear the words that come through you. It just Mm -hmm. sings. It just sings with, oh, it makes me want to cry. It just sings with remembrance. It just sings with acknowledgement. It just sings with reaffirm you know it's like i don't think that we can teach anybody anything i think that we just remind people of who we are and it just sings with that remembrance and and when you stop identifying with the personality and all the foibles of the personality 
and you can see him or her as this character in your play. And just like the script writer writes the character and adores this character with all its problems, mm. I don't know, it can be a really joyous, fun ride when you're mm. kind of, you've got that detachment yeah. from that character being who you are. And mm -hmm. this is what your work says, you know. Yeah, it, is. Is... it does, yeah. But I know what you mean. Look, I, you know, I live in an affluent part of Sydney and I went to a friend's uh, kirtan meditation meeting and then there was this beautiful young blonde girl that said, would you like to come to Puja this afternoon? And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. I'll come. And she gives me this address and I turn up to this house and it's like this $25 million house on Sydney Harbour. <laughs> it's like ultra 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 modern massive mansion and um, we're on this huge balcony overlooking sydney harbour doing puja do you know what puja is you know, they, they have this little fire it's a this hindu thing and and some teacher sits there and chants and then burns and then chants and burns and chants mm -hmm. and burns and it's mm -hmm. long but it's kind of like burning away i don't know what it burns away but it burns uh -huh. away density distortion mm -hmm. i don't know but but here I am in this absolute luxury doing puja. It's so funny. It's just so funny. I did, it was so unexpected. I didn't sort of, uh -huh. when someone said, come and do puja. But yes, yeah, spiritual work can be done in all walks of life, I suspect. And it has to be, really. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, every, there's different lessons from everything. I got to learn the lessons of being broke when I was in my late 20s. And, yeah, me too. You know, now I have different lessons, you know, and I'm grateful for these, but they carry with it their own teachings. You know, the guides I work with remind us all the time that our, you know, our life is our teacher, you know, and the day is where the lessons come. And if I can remember that, I can have a pretty great experience with it all. I'm, I'm understanding what I'm accountable to and that I have the opportunity to learn. But, you know, it's all learning. This is school. That's what they say. You know, this is school. We come here for that. Okay. You know, we're here. Might as well learn. Well, now there's a question right there. I've got a million questions mm -hmm. written down because I've asked my little tribe mm -hmm. to ask you sure. questions. Because as I was saying to you before the recording, uh, on my online tribe, I, I have some of your students who are big okay. you know, admirers of your work, and I mm. ask them, do you have any questions for Paul? But this is one of the questions that someone asked me when my guides in the little tribe, mm. Mm. Uh, you know, is Earth a school? And, and my guides had said, of types, but if you, if you, if you are of infinite intelligence, mm -hmm. there is nothing to learn yeah. So why would we come to Earth to learn? So, Well, I think we come to remember, but I do think that we, we learn through our experience. And, you know, we come here and we're sort of enmeshed in personality and we're in this, the guides call it an octave that has been heavily invested with fear. Yeah. And, you know, their teaching is to move us beyond that, to lift us beyond that to a level of resonance where we're no longer you know, activated by that and calling those lessons to us. It doesn't mean that the things don't happen. I think it does mean that how we respond to our, our lives is, is transformed in some ways. So, I mean, I I'm an old teacher. You know, I was a college teacher for years. Education is a construct that I know and that I'm comfortable to. But the guides have said, you know, if everything is an opportunity to learn, then we, we're no longer victimized by our circumstances. They become opportunities. And it becomes a way to frame experience and to move through them. And the guides have said, you can't be a victim and, and a master at the same time. You know, we right. get to choose. 
And so I find that if I can sort of reframe things in my own experience as opportunity, I'm much less frightened than I normally would be. And I move through things with grace and I actually acquire knowledge or I align to my knowledge. Perhaps knowledge isn't even acquired. But I don't, when I, I say it's school, I don't think it's about learning techniques. I mean, it's nice to, you know, if you want to learn how to bake a cake, it's good to have a recipe. You know, I don't know how to bake a cake. Somebody else gets to do that um, and learn that lesson. But, you know, when I began doing the work that I do now, there was a very long, long learning curve. I don't think it's over. I don't think that I'm, you know, how I work has continued to shift as I've grown into it and acclimated to the energies. You know, it has to be when I first started. I was just fairly astonished and also horrified at this phenomena because I wasn't expecting to channel and I wasn't even somebody that necessarily put any credence in it. You know, I thought it was a curiosity, but it wasn't what I aspired to at all. I had just studied a form of energy healing and wanted to hold a little group in my apartment to sit in the energy. And the moment I did, I began to get instruction. And I wasn't lecturing. The lecturing didn't start through me until 2008, which is the year I quit smoking. You know, I started opening up psychically when I quit drinking when I was 25. And whatever I was in 2008, once the four packs a day of cigarettes were out of my system, they began to lecture nonstop and they haven't stopped. You know, yeah. I mean, my system couldn't be worked with, I think, at the level it is now. Yeah, I've got so much to say to that. So claiming the work, claiming the work. Okay, so this is my experience too. I've got the mob. I call them the mob, right? You call them the guides. I call them the mob. I gave them a prettier name, Blissful Beings, because I had a business called Blissful Beings when I used to massage. And then I kept asking them who they were, like, what's your name? What's your name? They never gave me a name, right? Uh And um, they just said one day, well, who do you think Blissful Beings are? And I went, oh. (laughs) Anyway, but I call them the mob. Uh, you know, claiming that, claiming that because having them constantly teaching and constantly talking and claiming that that's happening is a real uh, lesson in ego and stepping out. This is the conversation we had five years ago, right? So mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you're working as a teacher, you're really mm-hmm. comfortable, you're loving what you do. And mm-hmm. now the books are channeling through you. Three were done by then, right? I see and that. the guides were really asking you to step into yeah. who Paul Selleck is now and be mm-hmm. that full-time messenger and teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of undecided about it at that oh, yeah. point. And, um, but claiming that, and this is a lot of the people that are attracted to my work, they are the, I call them the new world teachers, mm-hmm. you know, taking on that role as someone who teaches or channels or mm-hmm. has a message for humanity without having a PhD in channeling. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you say to these people that are? Well, people sometimes ask me or they say that they want to be a channel. And I often Mm -hmm. say, why would you want to do this? (laughs) Um, It's never gotten me a date, really. And it's, uh, (laughs) well, no, it's just what it is. But what I want to say is it's, it's, it's truly, I think I'm of the opinion and some differ. I make a distinction between inspiration and channeling. I think that they're two different things. And I think inspiration is very high, but channeling in its truest sense is taking dictation. It's not convenient. It's not, you know, I'll just leave it at that. 
and so, you know, the court stenographer in some ways, if you, you take a moment to look at him or her, is in some ways the least glamorous or least interesting person in the court. They're rendering the information. And I'm very clear that my job is to show up and be the radio. When I work psychically, which I do in my workshops as well, and I tune into people, I mean, that's a little more, I, I'm more invested in that only because I'm interpreting when I read. You know, mm-hmm. there's a level of interpretation. It's called reading. And that's kind of fun for me. Channeling isn't fun. It's not bad. I enjoy it. But it's this really astonishing experience of being in the moment with transmission. And I don't know if that's what your experience is, but it, when it's, you know, when I'm not channeling, I don't think about it. You know, I can tune into the guides if I want to in, on, about an issue. But when I'm channeling, I hear one phrase repeated incessantly in my head. And it, it's going to keep repeating until I give it language. And even if it makes no sense to me, but once I say it, then everything else tumbles out and they just keep talking and talking and talking until they say, stop now, please, which means it's the end of the lecture and I get to have a sip of water. So for people that want this, I, I believe this firmly. If you want it, ask for it. If you want to evolve spiritually, ask, you'll be met. They're saying, say this, you know, I don't always tell this story, but when I was maybe 32 years old or so, and I was studying with my old teacher, who was a healer, she's a very interesting woman. Um, and she said in a workshop, okay, everybody, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you a little prayer and you're gonna have to write this one down. Write, write down what you want, but be very careful how you phrase it because you're gonna get it. And I, of course, you know, I, in retrospect, I said, I should have asked for a great apartment. I should have asked for a raise. I didn't ask for, I just said, I really, I thought about it. I don't know how I wrote it on the page. I'd lost the page. But I did say, I, I want to go all the way with God. That's what right. I said, you know. And I'd had a couple of experiences prior to that that had given me the awareness of another level of consciousness or the the presence of source that was astonishing to me. And I could never forget it. I knew it was there. I just didn't know how to, to live there or if I even could. So that's what I asked for. And sometimes I think, and the guides have said to me, well, Paul, you asked for this. I mean, they've also said that I agreed to this before I came here, but I did ask. That's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And we have to ask. There's a, few things, there's a few things I want to say to that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've been wanting to say this to you for five years, actually. Ah. I've heard you say, you know, I'm just the radio. I'm just the receiver. It's like the just, the just, the just. And I want to mm-hmm. say something to you. So I've been showcasing new old teachers for like 25 years. And I've seen so many come through first through the Academy of Light every Monday night and now on media mm-hmm. for like 11 years. And I've seen so many people come through. And what I notice about you like your mob the same mob as my mob same mob as you know francis's mob same mob same mob same group same guides Mm. but the information comes through paul it comes through the filter of paul it comes through the education of paul paul who spent his life um, exploring the w- literature and, and, and script writing and, mm-hmm. and all those beautiful things and has this amazing brain that has this language that other people don't have. Mm-hmm. And so 
there is just such ah what's the word i'm looking for the way the information is delivered mm-hmm. through paul's brain is so beautiful the way the combination of words that are put together that the words that are used to explain a concept mm-hmm. that is so delicious and that honey is all you yes the information comes the same information that comes through many but it yeah. comes through you and so that is your part in this and and that that's you're not just the radio or the receiver you know you I, are the I, mind through which the the energy is translated yes i, I agree with some of that what you're saying, I don't agree with all of it because they actually have a better vocabulary than I do. Well, they and do. And I actually have to look up words occasionally because I'll yes. say it just happened two weeks ago. We couldn't figure out was it, the word was presence and all the transcripts is this presence, and it, the word was prescience, which is a different word which I've never used in a sentence right. in my life. But yes. it was very clear what it was. But they do co-opt my vocabulary. They do co-opt memory. They do co-opt my worries and concerns because they'll often address them. So I do believe that I'm a collaborator and an essential one to this experience. I don't underestimate that. What I do want to avoid at all costs is people projecting onto me things that are not me. You know, I'm a guy who's got his own issues and is working through his own stuff and is doing his best and is on the path just like every other schmuck on the road. <laughs> I may I have been, you know, a little bit longer, but I'm grateful for this. I'm actually grateful. It puts it in perspective. And I, I really do think that if I ever start showing up and saying, hi, I'm Paul, I'm the channel, capital T, capital C, I would, I would go, if anybody were to do that, I would say go listen to somebody else because it's not about self-abnegation. It's not about denying ability. Somebody who plays the violin beautifully has mm. developed a level of skill mm. but may have the natural makeup. Somebody once asked me if they would be able to do, if they could just do what I did. And... Uh, it was a, I struggled with it because I do believe that there is a level of skill that's developed, and I don't know how people like you or I are wired at a certain point. I feel like I got rewired to do this, to be able to bring this transmission through, and that it didn't happen overnight. And, you know, I said, you know, anybody can play basketball. I can play basketball, but I'm not you know, six foot three, and I'm never going to make the team. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I don't have the equipment to deliver that, but I do have the equipment and I've been developed over the years to do this. And some Mm. of that was having been a classroom teacher. You know, when I was a playwright, when I was younger, I, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was inducing trance before I worked. I would put one piece of music on a loop for hours and just sit there and see what came through. Yeah, and so the idea, and when I started stepping into other people, and for the first time it happened, I was astonished. But somebody said, you know, mention their father, and I had my eyes closed, and I said his name, and the woman gasped. She said, "Oh my God, you look just like him!" All of a sudden, and I found I could do it every time. But that idea of becoming other people wasn't foreign to me. You know, it had been part of my 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 artistic work. What I didn't know was that I could do it with a living. And what I didn't know was I could close my eyes and have whatever these guides are, you know, dictate whole books that don't need any editing. 
for me, that was the proof of the whole thing. You know, I don't get to go back and change things. I think we changed three words in the last book. Or in this last lecture, presence became prescience because it was clearly the intended word. I just didn't know what the word is, you know. Yeah. It came out muddled. Well, look, I was having this conversation before we started this morning with my mom. Uh -huh. uh, this very conversation was going over in my head. Um, and I said, uh, you know, this, this you said, because I heard you say this morning, <laughs> But there are words that I don't know what they mean, so I know it's not me. I've heard that, that sentence I heard this morning. Yeah. And I had that similar experience recently. Remember the young man I was telling you about has this space that wants to see you come yeah. to Australia. So I was in his space recently and we were doing some meditating and stuff. And it's right next, it's right in the city, right next to Central Station. And these yeah. Aboriginal guides came in. And they said, thank you for what you're doing. We want to bring Aboriginal law back into the city. Mm -hmm. And then they spelt it for me, L-O-R-E. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what does that mean? So I had to go home and Google L-O-R-E. So, but, and then they said to me, but you've heard the word, you've seen mm -hmm. it, you've heard it. Yeah. So the fact that you've seen it and heard it enabled you to receive that information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, I agree with you yeah yeah I agree with you but I think that there's a reason that I'm not doing and it's happened once in a while I can always say I don't do medical readings you know mm -hmm. and once in a while the guides will come through and say left ventricle and I don't even know what the ventricle is or what the left or right does <laughs> yes and yes, the person yes. will say yes that's exactly where the issue is and I'll go yeah. okay but I'm not I feel that, at least in my case, the work that comes through me is rather singular. You know, one of my earbuds is rather singular. You know, it's sort of coming out to, to bring these books through, and I'm happy to do it. And the other stuff I do is fine. And I'm, I know that I have a level of ability. I don't deny that. You know, yeah. and I'm grateful for it, really grateful for it. It's providing me a living, and it's giving me work that's meaningful, and I'm learning through it. And, you know, now that I finally had the courage to leave academia, and that really was like pulling teeth, I know that it was the right decision. But at the time, you know, I was in my 50s and walking away from, you know, retirement, insurance, all of those things, a steady paycheck, you know, a sense of identity in the world that was a lot more comfortable for most people. I remember once in a while... Um, I, I would meet somebody and they would say, well, what do you do for a living? I'd say, well, I work as a, a psychic and a college teacher. And they'd say, oh, what do you teach? As if psychic had been, that was just a blip on the screen. You, you got rid of it. And I don't care anymore, which is the good news. You know, I don't care that people judge this or what I do or what you do. I'm fine with that. I've had to get those lessons. I just know that, you know, I'm not trying to trick anybody. I just show up as best I can for the work that's in front of me. And, and I look at it now. And this helped me enormously. I look at it as my job. It's yeah. my job to show up. Yeah. And I am one of those people that doesn't think that some jobs are, are more important than others. I mean, right now in the pandemic, we're seeing the value of the grocery store worker, you know, in a way that we never have before. And really? You know, suddenly the entertainment lawyer doesn't mean that much. Right. You know what I mean? He's yeah, not a the football move the star, you know, the million Exactly. All the celebrity player. stuff is, is yeah. going out the window. Yeah. And I think that that's really great, you yeah. know, and it's not to make those other people, you know, less valuable. I mean, they're compensated well, but I think that we've lived in a, in a culture that's been a little bit skewered. Mm. So, 
you know, I don't know. So I, if it's my job, I can show up, I can have done a good job, and I can feel good about the job that I did. And that's great for me. Well, watching your journey, having watched many people's journeys over the years, you've been really successful and the work has really spread and, you know, it's been really popular. And this is astounding because it, the level of the frequency, the level of the work is, is, I don't want to use hierarchy, but is not everyone's cup of tea, let me put it that no. way. And, yeah. and, and yet you've been on mainstream media, you know, mm. a spiritual channel, like you've been on, I don't know, some mainstream media shows. Mm. What, you've been on Gaia TV and you've obviously mm. in Bill, my friend Bill's movie and uh, uh -huh. Uh, PGS, or are you yeah. in the next one? Fear. I'm in the next. I'm in both of them, and I was on Nightline. I did a lot of these. You know, Nightline. How'd you get on yeah. Nightline? Somebody came for a reading, or, right. or the woman I was working with sent somebody for a reading to check me out, and I nailed it. And I think I started to look. She asked about her husband, and I started to resemble him, and right. I actually relayed their inner dialogue in their marriage. I think in right. a way that was helpful and moving and supportive of, of, and so, and she went, okay, you know, let's do this. Let's just do this. And it was a good experience. Um, they didn't focus on the channeling though. They focused on the psychic ability because that was more palatable, you know, for mainstream media. I agree. Yeah. I feel like I've been very fortunate here, but I have to say there's, you know, my, I'm very good at showing up. I'm extremely consistent. You know, I show up even when I don't want to. I've had to show up and channel, you know, hours after putting my, my dog to sleep, who was my, my dearest companion. I've yeah. had to show up and channel after I just had a fight with somebody and I've been crying, you know, and I do it and I learn through it. And at that level, I acknowledge that I've done the footwork. Mm -hmm. I also acknowledge the fact that I was prepared for 18 years of doing a group with three to 10 people right. and people putting 10 bucks in a basket, mm -hmm. you know, and I, that yep. was my, in some ways, my apprenticeship. And I would, you know, frankly, yep. and this is the interesting thing. If, you know, I, if, if for some reason I, I, I showed up and there were only three people in the workshop again, I would do still show up, you know, I'm appreciative that we get, big groups now and, and, and there's interest in the work. I agree it's not for everybody um, or needn't be for everybody and why should it be? So I have to say this because it's important. This is also the one area of my life that really has been surrendered. Yeah. You know, I just show up and the right people have shown up to support me every step of the way. And Absolutely. I'm very grateful for that. You know, and when I meet people who are trying to get a career, I tend to want to say, don't try to get a career, show up and do the work. Yes. Do the work, just do the work. And if the work is as a value, people will come, you know, and I'm concerned sometimes, you know, that we live in a culture where people want to put up a shingle right away. You know, I, I took a workshop and now I'm a this. Mm -hmm. And you took a workshop and now practice what you've learned, mm -hmm. you know, and develop. Because I think that these skill sets are developed through use. You know, the guides I work with have a very distinct way of speaking that I trust. I'm not just listening to whatever wants to start chatting to me. I think that that's a little risky to mm -hmm. do. 
mm-hmm. to be sort of navigating, you know, the inner planes and saying, who wants to talk today? You know, I don't want Jack the Ripper coming through me. I have no desire for that. I'd rather have a really good teacher who knows his subject or, or its subject, you know, that's how I feel. But that's me and everybody learns in their own way. Oh, look, absolutely. Um, I just want to say something about you look like when you take on people's energy. I haven't actually mm. seen you do that, but mm. I was watching a comedian on some talk show and I, I mm. cannot remember his name. He's quite well known. He's American. And he mm. was doing impersonations of different people. And mm. he was doing that. Yeah. He would just kind of, he didn't talk about doing that because he's just on mainstream and he's just, a, mm-hmm. he would like take on, he'd just do someone's accent, you know, Jack Nicholson or Trump, yeah. somebody. And he would, he would look like he them. He would step he into them. Jim Carrey can do that. I've seen him do he that. Can. He um, can. He can. I have to say not as well as this other one. And I can't, don't ask me yeah. what his name was. But I was, and I was thinking about you at the time. I was watching uh, that thinking, this must be what Paul does. Well, the difference is I deal with people that are, I work only with a living. I mean, people that have crossed, I can get them, but I get them as they were when they were living. So I'm not a spiritual medium bringing in messages from the other side. But, you know, if you had issues with your mother and um, your mother's on the other side and you give me your mother's name, I may be able to step into her and to, and become her within the dynamic that was expressed while you were together. You know, and help. That's, I do a lot of that work. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that I tune into are people that I've never, ever met and never will meet. People come to a workshop and say, I'm estranged from my daughter yeah, or yeah. I'm having issues with my boss. And if somebody gives me the name, I use the name. It's kind of like psychometry. You know, you, you have, you hold somebody's watch and you get the vibration. I just use the name and I just step in and I am, I am them in that moment, and I have access to higher information. I always have to say I'm not a psychic spy. That's not what I'm doing. Uh, but I'm, I'm operating in some ways as a switchboard. But the only way that I can do that is to become the object. I have a, a, a wonderful friend, Laura Day, who's a, a good psychic, and she said, you know, what you're doing is mediumship, and mediumship is becoming the object of inquiry. And I went, yeah, that is what it's like. You become the object. You become the person. And I enjoy it because it can be proven out. You know, you can film me doing that. There was a TV show that used to be on, I think it's back, but in a different incarnation on the biography channel in the U.S. called The Unexplained. And I was filmed, I was on that show for a bit. And they once filmed me reading for a woman who, she, they just told me she had issues with her son. Right. And, I, and I didn't know anything else. She was a lovely woman. And I tuned into her son. And I started, my fingers clawed up. I started rocking back and forth. I lost my hearing. And the kid just kept saying, um, get me out of here. Get me out of my body, basically. Oh. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. I thought, is this a psychotic kid? And then I lost my hearing and I said, is, is he deaf? And she said, I don't know. And I'm going, what the hell is this craziness? But they intercut the footage of me reading with the actual boy who had cerebral palsy and had never spoken in his life. And what I was doing was carrying all the symptoms. I mean, it was a radical experience and a radical reading. It wasn't a joyful reading because mm-hmm. you understood. And she actually didn't know that her son was as aware as he was. Right. And that was a gift for her because she was, you know, he was getting heavy and she was having to carry him around the house and 
take care of all of his needs. But that kind of stuff I'm really interested in. I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's mirror neurons, um, but it's pretty consistent. So there's a kind of physical mediumship that I employ when I work. I'm told, and I haven't seen it, maybe it's on film somewhere, when I'm channeling, my eyes often turn bright blue. I have dark eyes, you know, I have dark hazel eyes. And I'm, uh, yeah, I do. Maybe they look green because of the painting, but yeah, (laughs) you know, I have, I have, I, you know, I don't have blue eyes maybe when I was tiny. So that's that, you know, that's my experience of all that stuff. Well, I can tell you as someone who studied as a naturopath and a doctor and a neurologist, Uh blue there's only two colored eyes there's a there's true gr- uh, brown and true blue oh, interesting. and then every other color that we see that looks green or hazel is pigment that is over the blue eye so all babies are born huh. either with true brown eyes or true blue eyes and mm-hmm. then like my daughter had the most unbelievably sparkling sparkling bright blue eyes when she was born and soon a few months after they started to get this yellow pigment which turned them mm-hmm. green uh-huh. And all that pigment is actually um, sort of toxins, really, huh. and that, oh, that represent, uh, it might be karmic stuff, it might be physical stuff, because you don't display illness necessarily if you've got a lot of, to- you know, like if you've got hazel eyes. Mm-hmm. But just that you say that when you channel, they go bright blue, it's kind of like the toxins are removed. I don't know what it is. I find it interesting to hear it. You know, I'll yeah. often ask people, the guides do this thing in workshops sometimes where they stand in front of people and they sort of see them. And I'll often ask what color my eyes were and people say blue, blue. And they'll say, or actually the first row might say hazel or green, like the first four people. But as the energy increases, as I do this, they get bluer and bluer and bluer. It's yeah. just the amount of, and I'm fascinated by it. I don't know how it happens, but. I'm fascinated too. Yeah, it's, it's curious to me, but I like the physical stuff. Because, and, and when I work in the energy that's there for people that they can then work with, because the books are all attunement, so people, you know, are not reliant on me. They can work with the energy of the guides. That's, that's the whole purpose of them. That stuff I like, because if you can feel it, if you can have your own experience with it, you can trust your own information. And I'd much rather people trust their own information and defer Absolutely. to mine. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really important with every message, mm-hmm. everyone that you listen to, you've got to tune in with your own mob, yeah. your own. Okay. Look, so let's get into these. There's a couple of questions I've written down here with all the books. How do you feel that they differ um, from book to book? Well, they do. Uh, the first book, I Am the Word, which was channeled in 2009 and published in 2010, in some ways, I think holds the DNA of all the books that follow. I think what they've been doing in the subsequent books is really unpacking that teaching. But the concepts, as they're teaching it, become more and more radical and more and more experiential um, because it's about being at a certain level. It's not a theoretical teaching. It's a teaching of actualization or realization. And they seem to build um, methodically, actually. The first six books um, are all, I think, in preparation for the series that they're delivering now, which they're saying is they're taking us to the upper room, which is the level of you know, vibration or a chord or the octave 
above the one that we've been accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And the process of aligning at that level has been laid in the prior books um, and through the claims and attunements that they brought through. And now they're teaching the upper room. You know, realization, the new one, is where they introduce that teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that's coming out in August, which is the eighth book, Alchemy, is really about learning how to maintain that vibration. And it's a challenging teaching. But it's oh, a big, yes. This, yeah. this, this is, yeah, this is, this is, this is where I am. Like, this is the questions that I get. This is like, yeah. how do you maintain? So I can get in meditation. I can contact that. Mm-hmm. I can reach it. <clears throat> but how do I maintain that as a human in my daily life? Um, yes, this is the questions that yeah. people ask me about. So that's beautiful. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. Another question a lot of people ask, um, there's just so, so much synchronicity happening this morning. Mm-hmm. I was on Facebook, a million people um, doing stuff on Facebook and I had posted an article I'd written ages ago about um, born knowing. It was about born knowing when you're a baby, you're born knowing everything no. and then you tend to forget and then you get conditioned. And then someone had written, I still don't know why I'm here. And so as I'm listening, and this is a question I get a lot from people, like, why am I here? How, how do I serve? And so as I'm listening, reading the book today, I know how I serve is very mm-hmm. um, big inside the, the book uh, realisation. Mm-hmm. I know how I serve. So that's the kind of the crux of that book, right? Like knowing how you serve. And so then the next book will be living it, like knowing it and living it, two different things, right? Well, they're talking, you see, they're, they're, yes and no. Um, the claim, I know how I serve, was first brought through in the, the third book, which was the book of knowing and worth. And the attunement, I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve, which they've also been unpacking. And they are unpacking, I know how I serve in, 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 in realization. What the guides have said is that how one serves is how one is most fully expressed as the true self which is, it's a vibratory act. It's the act of being at a level of vibration and consciousness. And then what you do from that place, if in fact you're called to act, will be in a level of alignment. You know, at least in the U.S. and culturally, people assume that how they serve is what they do. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to be a Reiki master. I'm going to open up a studio. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's an externalized way of being in service and we tend to equate that culturally with career. And I don't think it has a damn thing to do with career. I often tell the story. So, you know, forgive me for if you've heard it before. But, you know, I'm here in Maui because my friend Brent, you know, invited me here. He's here with his kids, you know, and said, there's a house nearby. Come stay. And, you know, and Brent's great. He's like six foot three. And he's a big, you know, like Rock hudson you know, guy. And I tuned in to Brent once for a mutual friend. And Brent showed up walking down a country road at night going, what am I here for? What am I here for? What am I here for? Mm-hmm. And then there was this big tree that had fallen across the path. And because Brent is tall and strong, he was able to pick up the tree, toss it off the side of the road, 
and then went back to saying, what am I here for? What am I here for? What am I here for? And the teaching was he was there to move the damn tree that had fallen in front of the path. And in doing that, he opened up the path for everybody coming behind him. But he was looking for the big thing, you know, that would sound like the big career move, the big objective. And I hear, you know, the lesson of the day is the teaching of the day. It's all in the day, you know, but how we serve is our true expression. And the guides say, if you begin to work with it at that level, because they say the true self knows and the small self thinks, if you go to the true self who knows and you start working with the claim, I know how I serve, the guides say, you know, the days of figuring it out are over. Then it becomes about moving into a chord. Moving into a chord. Thank you. That's so beautiful. I had a client who I've known for years, who's been serving for years. Mm-hmm. He has a business. He started it as a spiritual adventure and couldn't get any customers, so he turned it into a mainstream venture and his heart's not singing because it's, yeah. it's just like he's just, it's just the operation of it and he's, it's been 20 years and he's like asking me, what am I here to do? Mm-hmm. And my guides did not tell him what he was here to do. So yeah. after two hours of helping him release some limiting thought forms and forgiveness of his parents and talking to his dead parents. You know, so much happened in that two hours, right? He still said at the end of it, well, I didn't get the answer to my quest. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) I once read for this guy, this is a years ago. I don't think he'd mind me saying this. He was a successful attorney. He came into my office, Um, you know, and he was sad, you know, And he wanted to know what he needed to do. And I tuned into him and I said to him, you're not going to want to hear this because I'm seeing you tending bar. (laughs) And he looked at me and he looked so wistful. And he said, you know, the happiest time of my life was the summer after college when I was tending bar. But it wasn't good enough. It wasn't what one was expected to do. Do you understand that? And I think we get stuck in these things. The guides often say, you know, when people are asking this question, what would you do with your time if you could do anything? If you weren't worried about the paycheck or the insurance or what your parents thought of you or, you know, how you were going to support the family, what would you choose? Because somebody's getting paid for to do that somewhere. Somebody's getting paid to read books all day or watch TV or run or sit at the beach. But very often, it's something different. I would be doing this work that I'm doing now, as I used to, when people put 10 bucks in a basket in my apartment and we had four people, you know, and that was, you know, a couple of pizzas or something, you know, that was what it was. But I was so curious and I knew that I I didn't want to stop. You know, before that, I was a writer who didn't want to write. I was a playwright who just didn't want to do it. I could find every reason not to. And now, and I had terrible writer's block, and now they deliver whole books that don't need editing. It's the craziest thing in the world. That's, talk, about, talk about a good deal. I'm very fortunate. That's why there's so many books. They take 30 days each, really, of, of dictation. You know, sometimes spread out over a couple of months, but that's it. There's no struggle there. Again, I'm going to say, be careful what you ask for. It's like I'm a writer that doesn't write. I want to write, but I'm not, I don't want to write. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, there was something, something else I wanted to say to you then. Um, oh, I've gone blank. Oh, it's going to come back in a minute. Oh, no, I've gone blank. All right, let me get into these questions. Uh, oh, there, there she is. So going back to um, how do I serve. So 
again, I'm reminded of Mother Teresa who said, it's not mm -hmm. the great things you do, it's the things that you do. It's the small things you do with great love. I think there was yeah. just, you know, yeah. tending bar with great love for <laughs> just that. It doesn't matter what you do, it's just do it with great love. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think we get so caught up. And really in the book, uh, Realisation, uh, there was a part I was listening to this morning that goes into, you know, as humans, we're sort of always thinking about you know, the success and career and how we're going to be mm -hmm. famous and how we're going to have, make lots of money. And, and we get so caught up in that story, we forget that it's not about that story. Uh, what have I got here? Okay, <clears throat> so this is from Yannette. The shift is happening, she says. Oh, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you about that too, but I'll get that to that mm -hmm. later. What can we do to support it? She's got a few questions here. How can we accelerate the process as light workers or light weavers? What do the guides want us to know about the global village? Well, let's just talk about those two questions. I've got a few questions here. What can we do to support the shift and how can we do uh, oh. accelerate the processes as, as people who are bringers of the light, lighthouses, bringers of the door? You know, I mean, this is really questions for them. I don't have the answers to this truthfully. I mean, I'll see if I can tune in. I hear you believe the process needs to be accelerated already. Is it already is? Can you keep up with right. it? Can you keep up with it? That's the question. That's the real question. And are you willing to disarm the self, the self who believes herself to be in jeopardy, who believes herself to be in jeopardy, who must control everything, who must control everything to stay safe in order to stay safe? When you know who you are, when you know who you are, you know your safety, you know your safety to become a light, and you become the light that supports others, that supports others in recognition, in their recognition of their true being, period. And they're saying, period. So what was the first question? Well, you've answered it. What can we do to support it? Both? And, and um, the acceleration, it's already <coughs> being accelerated. They're saying, yeah. like, how can we accelerate yeah. the process? Um, it's already accelerated. Yeah. What do the guides want us to know about the global village? I don't know what she means by that. Maybe the guides I don't either. do. No, I mean, I... I I, perhaps she's talking about unity. I find it curious sometimes that sort of phrases that make it into the zeitgeist are assumed to be understood, you know. When people sometimes come and say, well, what do the guides have to say about my our soul contracts? I say, well, that's Carolyn Mace's work. They don't, guides don't talk about soul contracts. They talk about agreements we make yeah. prior to incarnation, and they'll talk about that. But it's not like everybody's, you know, read... Louise Hay on the other side, you know, <laughs> I mean, she's speaking in her own jargon, you know, which yeah. is perfect for her. And, and I'm, I'm happy about it. I'll ask about global village unified culture. They're saying unified culture is not a healthy thing, is not a healthy thing. Culture may be distinct. Culture may be distinct as long as you comprehend it, as long as you comprehend that each individual, that each individual is of plurality, is of plurality of the whole, of the whole, to comprehend individuals. To comprehend individuals through tribalism, through tribalism is not necessarily healthy either, is not necessarily healthy either, unless you understand that all tribes are one, unless you understand that all tribes are one. Some choose to eat fish, some choose to eat fish, some choose to eat grass, some choose to eat grass, some pray to this or that, some pray to this or that, but unification, but unification is something comprehension is simply the comprehension that it must be one, that you must be one, you must be one because you cannot be other than that, because you cannot be other than that. Tell this, say this. So the example they use about this is almost, they talk about like snowflakes and raindrops, you know, each individual raindrop is of the storm. Mm -hmm. It comprehends itself both as singular and of the plural. You understand. Mm -hmm. And when the rain hits the pavement or hits the earth, it becomes one again. You know, it goes back into that that sense of collective. So global village isn't a, 
a phrase I've ever heard them use. So I mm. guess that's how they'll address it. Kathy wants to know, what are some of the positive things we can look forward to that will result from what's happening now? I won't give it a name. <laughs> I hear it's up to you. It's yep. a great opportunity. How do, you wish, great how do you wish to take it? How do you wish to take it? I mean, the guides have been talking about this for a few years. I mean, really a long time. Talking somebody, about this as in what's happening now? Yeah. 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 I mean, they've told I me mean, they haven't. It's actually, somebody posted an excerpt from an interview I must have given last year where the guide said what's about to come is going to be different than anything that you can expect. It's going to impact every structure, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't teach gloom and doom. They do teach our responsibility to our own creations. Mm -hmm. You know, if, you know, we've made, you know, we want to blame the banks, but we invest in the banks. Yep. You know, we want to vilify these people, but they're, we're party to them. Absolutely. But I'd say you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil. Okay. So just before we got on, I posted this on my Facebook page because I was just like, oh my God, this is so profound. I just got to find mm -hmm. it. And it was from the book and there'll be a million questions after it. Uh, just because it just, it also spoke synchronicity to what somebody had posted saying that for those um, virus deniers, if you deny the virus, I'm going to unfriend you straight away because you're stupid, you know, like damning mm -hmm. people that had a different point of view. And here's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's a, that's a, that's a sort of strong stance to make to damn somebody for a different point of view. Can't we all live in the world mm -hmm. with different points of view? And then I read this synchronicity. Uh, what you damn damns you back. What you curse is your own curse reflected right back at you. Humanity mm -hmm. itself is accountable for its actions as is the individual, as is the culture a community, a country, a world. At mm -hmm. this time, there is a reckoning of great magnitude and the injustice you see in your world is making itself known for only one purpose, to be re-known, reclaimed and made new. Mm -hmm. Behold, I make all things new, saith the Christ, and it is still so and will always be true. And when you claim it upon what you see, the vibratory field you hold now is, in, is its encounter with what you would call darkness. Seeks mm -hmm. to lift and can only lift as the one who knows who he claims the lifting. The frightened man operates in fear, fear for himself or the well-being of others, which is what I heard my friend saying. Mm -hmm. He fears for the well-being of others and so he's damning people. Like, So he's coming from a beautiful heart, but he's still damning mm -hmm. people. Um, I get it. Yeah. Was, that book, was that book from Realization? Was that quote That's from Realization? That's from Realization, yeah. That's yeah. funny. I don't remember that one. But, you know, I mean, they've been, they've been talking about what's coming for some time and they say everything, you know, has to be, everything will be made new. That's how they teach it. And yeah. behold, I make all things new is the teaching that they're bringing through now. It must have been the first time they ever claimed it was in that book because yeah. it's, an, it's its own attunement and it's quite powerful when you begin to work with it. I'm challenged by this. I'm a New Yorker, you know. I have friends who have died. I know people that have died and I have friends that are sick and are recovering now and I'm not living at home. I'm living elsewhere because I'm, you know, in my 50s, I'm overweight, I have high blood pressure. I'm not the person who should be you know, looking counters right now. And I really do take exception 
you know, if somebody thinks it's okay, that they can be contagious and, and, and not take responsibility for it. You know, I'm also somebody who survived the AIDS epidemic mm. when I was in my 20s. And I had many, many, I mean, too many friends to even count die, you know, from college, from graduate school, from where I worked. And I've lived through this before. And, you know, responsibility in those days became safe sex, wear a condom, you know, yeah. it's pretty basic stuff. And you do that to protect yourself and the other person. If you don't know, and with the, in those days, nobody knew their status, straight or gay. Nobody even knew how it was transmitted. So it was terrifying for people. So I come having been through that and have my own PTSD still from those years where people that were 25 years old who I had, you know, gone to writing class with at NYU were dying, you know, right in front of me. And it was not a pretty death. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Well, I have to so, say, Sydney, huge yep. gay community, uh, mm -hmm. was hit hard during the AIDS epidemic. And I worked in a creative industry then. I was working mm -hmm. as an artist painting mannequins' faces and doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they were dropping light flies around me yeah. as well. And I'm fat and 50 and, and probably vulnerable too, but I am in the thick of it here in Sydney. Yeah. I have to say I, our statistics are nothing like uh, America, yeah. but I'm not afraid. And I'm not afraid because, you know, I understand that everything is a, is a, is a collective manifestation. It's a manifestation mm -hmm. of thought. And like, what am I going to manifest? So this is a question I was going to pose you mm -hmm. and the guides. I can't remember. I wrote it down. A collective manifestation of mm. even the virus and the pandemic you know it is mm. a collective manifestation i agree how are we as a collective doing this and how mm. can we as a singular or small group shift this global manifestation i hereby being accountable to your own actions person knowing the worth of each person whether or not you differ from them in opinion or belief or belief yes everybody has the right to live prudence is required Prudence is required. Prudence is not fear. Prudence is not fear. Prudence is awareness. Prudence is awareness of a risk of a risk and the choice not to take it and the choice not to take it. If you wish to take the risk, if you wish to take the risk, take it for the self, take it for the self and not for those around you, but not for those around you to infringe on an individual free will. To infringe on an individual's free will is possible, is possible, but it's also a choice you'll pay for. But it's also a choice you will pay for, and that is not retaliation. And that is not retaliation. It's the law of karma and cause and effect. That is the law of karma and cause and effect. To become aware, to become aware of your participation, of your participation in the whole beyond your small self's need to be secure, beyond your small self's need to be secure or protected by his own ideas, or protected by his own ideas, whatever they may be, whatever they may be, moves you to a level, moves you to a level of comprehension, of comprehension when unity is claimed, when unity is claimed, this will release, this will release, period, mm. period, period. Well, interesting. that's interesting to say this. You know, one of the very first things, I'm sorry, go on. Nope, you go. Oh, I was going to say, that's interesting. Uh, what I'm hearing is that, is just allowing people to have their beliefs. Yeah. And don't try and change them because they're believing it and they're having they're creating an experience through that belief and that experience is serving them in some way and 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 then that speaks to everyone that's trying to change everybody's mind because they have different yeah. beliefs, right? So there's so much yeah. of that happening at the moment. There's so there many uh, theories coming out of what's happening, why it's happening. I agree. And and you know, the five G thing is really big where I am. It's like spread this 
tell everybody this, tell everybody this. And so I hear the guide saying, if you want mm. to be in fear, let people be in fear. Don't try and try and change them. It's serving them in some way. That's what I'm hearing. I guess so. I mean, the only thing, because I was in Costa Rica channeling on this the whole time, you know, it was coming down. Yeah. And there are some of those, uh, I think, lectures are up on YouTube, I think. Um, we just put them up there. You know, the guides, they've never chimed in on conspiracy theories ever. You know, I don't know that they ever will. Um, I'm curious about things, but it's not necessarily where I go either. And because my job is to stay clear enough, it's not to promote a personal agenda or not. I, I think personally that, you know, when they teach this, they've said, listen, if you go to the beach and there are sharks in the water, best not to swim. It's that simple. They said, that's not fear. That's prudence and caution. Best not to swim. That's how I understand it. And that's how I try to live. So I'm not frightened of this thing either. I'm just being prudent and cautious. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But I have to say, my daughter is out. She's out with a group of people on a catamaran sailing up and down the Australian Mm -hmm. coast. They call it escape into isolation. So Uh, her house burnt down during the fires and she went, mm -hmm. which she kind of, she doesn't want to say she lives with mum, yeah. like she doesn't want to tell, but she's got a room here. But she mm-hmm. sort of started living on this boat and they escape, mm-hmm. and they are literally swimming with sharks. Like she's Ouch. one of these fearless things, but she loves yeah. sharks, you know. That's fine then. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to knock it. You know, I don't love sharks, you know. <laughs> yes. I, I really That's don't. That's the difference. That's the difference. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm going to get more into that. Okay, Angela has a question. She's done your courses. She's be fine. Uh, how are you able to allow the guides to use you so freely when uh, at times it seems like you have such resistance to the information coming forth? Does that resistance not lower your vibration? And with that resistance, how do you develop that initial trust in the guides from the start? Yeah, because Angela's channeling now too, so... mm. Well, frankly, I'll be honest with you, if the, if the information that was coming through was all convenient to Paul's level of consciousness, it probably wouldn't be terribly interesting or <laughs> challenging. So I am challenged by it. I mean, I, you know, when the guides start saying, well, there's no such thing as time, I go, okay, right. Well, this is a two-hour class. We're <laughs> going to end in two hours. There is time. <laughs> But then they explain, you know, so I'll interrupt and then they will explain. And I'm actually very grateful that when I interrupt, and now they say Paul has a question, um, and then they'll take the question. They, they got to a point in the books, which I appreciated, when I was about to ask a question and I didn't even form it because I'm like taking dictation, the question's forming back there, mm-hmm. and they would anticipate the question and answer it before I could speak it. And the good news about that was it allowed them to continue their dictation as they wanted it. Mm-hmm. And there was one book, which was Book of Knowing and Worth, where I got derailed. It happened in a couple of books where I got derailed during the channeling and thought, okay, this is all got to go out the window. Now the rule is I don't get to change anything in the Mm -hmm. books. So if they were to say the moon is made of green cheese and I go, wait a minute, that's not true. They're going to have to come through and explain themselves Mm -hmm. because it's going to be in the book. I don't get to cut the inconvenient answer. I've met people 
who channel and they say, well, we just take out the negativity. And I go, then that's not channeling. It's not yours to take out. I'm yeah. really sorry. Yeah. That's your book then. It's not, it's not your guide's teaching. You know, if you want to pretty it up and yeah. package it to make it commercial, then call it what it is. It's a spiritual yeah. teaching, but, you know, maybe inspired. So I have to live with this. It's part of my work and part of my growth. And this is also part of the way that I can show up authentically for what this stuff is. Because I'm, I'm the one that said we can't change anything. I yeah. said to my first publisher and I, my current publishers of the same feeling. Yes, that's the yeah. right way to do this. That was kind of your rule, though. Like they didn't it say don't they, change anything. You said I will do this and I won't change. You've like made that your own rule. Um, I my sense is it's an agreement that it's we've an agreement. Made yeah. Because they understand it. You know, yeah. and there are lectures that they've given when I've been in book dictation that I've not been comfortable with. And they've said, well, Paul, this is not in the book. You know, this okay. is just for the students in the room. Okay. And then the next morning they may come back and do one for the book. But channeling a book, because the last three books, I think, were done entirely in front of live audiences. I mean, every right. every section was done publicly right. and videotaped. You know, the I mean, the good news about that is, is that there is a witness. Um, the bad news is I'm on pins and needles mm -hmm. because I don't know what to expect. And the book that's coming out next, I was in a rough space through the entirety of the book. The, the morning that they began the first lecture for the book, I found out an hour before that uh, an old friend of mine from my academic life had taken his own life. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned and devastated. And I walked into the, into the classroom to channel. I was at Esalen and the guides began in the book and I couldn't believe it um, because I was in no shape whatsoever. And the entire book was delivered through these sort of circumstances that completely put me in a place of, I don't care what comes out of my mouth. I have to show up. I've agreed to show up and I will. And I think it's actually one of the best books that they've delivered. I didn't know that till I read it through. So why am I telling you all this? It's because I guess the immediacy of the transmission is important to me and the integrity of the transmission is important to me. And people, I don't think the books are terrible. I think they're much more readable than they used to be. Mm -hmm. But people forget that these are spoken texts. Mm -hmm. There's no writing. Mm -hmm. you know. And if you think about somebody telling you a story and then having that story typed up and printed in a book, that's what this whole thing is, start to finish. Yeah. There's no writing going back and cleaning up a clumsy sentence. Um, and fortunately, the guides, I think, are, are good at how they do this. You know, you can't tell very often when you're reading the book that it was a spoken text that's been transcribed. No. <clears throat> I think to answer, you've answered the question, but I'm just going to reiterate this because I think that where Angela is, is she's saying that, you know, how can you be of a high vibration to receive the information if you're in resistance? And what I'm hearing from you mm -hmm. is that that agreement was was settled before you even came into incarnation. And so regardless of your upset or your resistance, they, the guides, having you having as mm -hmm. a soul, for a better word, agreed, move you aside to bring through the work. So that's an agreement that was set up and it's not something that you've had to practice. Like you don't have to come into channeling and then raise your vibe in order to channel. It's, it's I just show up. You just, yeah. yeah, they kind of move you. Okay. With Paul and all his upset and all his resistance, we're just going to move that aside 
Yeah. And then whew, come through. Yeah. I, I mean, literally, I could go from this conversation and two minutes, I just do my little prayer of protection, imagine myself climbing into the backseat of the car, and yeah. they could talk to you for 45 minutes more about yeah. whatever they wanted. Yeah. And I'm used to that. Um, but I did want to address something about this. You know, I have a friend, a good friend who's an old time medium, and mm-hmm. she does know how to develop. And I asked her, and she said, you know, you're part of this group that your guides are. You're actually of them. Yeah. And she said, I happen to know this because they wouldn't put up with you interrupting them if you weren't. <laughs> they just wouldn't put up with it. And they're doing this with you because, you know, and I you're often, yeah. I, well, I feel like I'm, I'm this guy sitting in the very first row in front of the teacher going, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that that's resistance or low vibration. I think it's asking to become more clear. And it's because I'm not denying what they're saying. I'm asking for a rationale or an unpacking of the teaching. And part of the reason I do this, and this may actually help Angela's question, is a part of me does feel responsible or accountable, not to the content of the book, but, you know, there's seven books out now that have my name on the cover that I have not written, but mm-hmm. my name is on the cover. Mm-hmm. And at, at that level, I feel a level of responsibility to, if I think, you know, if, they, if the guys were to say to me something that I thought was nuts or fear-based, I would want to question it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say, well, why are you saying this? Or why, what is this really about? And without it, once in a while, they'll say, we'll answer this later, we wish to continue. And I'm actually happy when they do that, because it means they're more, much more in charge. But I don't think that they've ever ignored the questions. Um, and I've been told by a lot of readers that the questions that I ask are also their questions. Yeah. And it helps them sort of have a, a, a better experience of the book. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to move on. I could say more to that, but this is another great question. What has been your greatest learning experience since working with the guides? What has been your greatest joy? I think, I don't know if that's for, still from Angela. I can't remember, but anyway. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that now, today, in the middle of all this. I'm living a completely different life than I thought I would. I'm doing work that I didn't even think was possible. I've had to let go of enormous, enormous ideas about myself and who I was supposed to be. None of that was comfortable and easy for me, truthfully. Just like everybody else, I have an investment in the mask. You know, even when the mask grows painful and uncomfortable, I'm frightened to be without it. And I'm still in this process. The process I'm in now, and and I feel this, and the guides use this example, this illustration in a class they taught a few months ago at Esalen. And they said, you know, it's kind of like you're all getting, you're all being turned upside down and being up in the upper room and shaken by your feet and all those little black pebbles in your pockets, those fears that you've accrued are being released, Mm -hmm. but they're being shaken out of you. And the reason is you can't keep them in your pocket at that level of vibration, because as you do that, you're still attracting from them. And that's what brings you back to the lower floor. That's what brings you back to the low vibrational, you know, fear-based self that you've been used to. The greatest joys, I mean, I suppose the greatest joy is is that I get to have an ongoing experience of wonder. And at times, I'm so familiar with that that it's not the mind-blowing experience that it's been. But I can't say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody, I was an unhappy kid. You know, I was a brooding, worried, chubby 
kid, you know? And I turned into a brooding, chubby, you know, cranky, you know, older man in some ways. Well, I've got um, to say, you're less cranky now than you were five years ago. I am. I, I totally agree. No, I, I remember. I remember that interview. And it wasn't you. I, 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 I know what was going on at that time of my life. I was really being asked. Pushed. You I were. was being pushed. Mm-hmm. And I was going, hey, wait a minute, you know, because talk about taking a leap into the unknown. I mean, mm-hmm. people don't often don't leave jobs that are seemingly secure that they've had for a quarter of a century and love. You know, and I chose to do it. Nobody asked me to leave. Perhaps if I'd stayed another year, I would have gotten fired. Who knows? Mm. But, you know, it was a place I felt safe and comfortable. I'm not terribly comfortable being visible in this work. That's my least favorite part of it. You know, I'm shy. You know, I'm I'm okay here one-on-one, but invite me to a party, I'll be in the corner of the room, you know? Look, look, I hear you. Look, I'm on media, but... I am shy too. It took me 10 mm-hmm. years to put my knob on the camera. I went behind, yeah. you know, I was asked to spread more, you know, to expand the work. And so I went on radio because I could sit there in my slippers and no one could see me and I yeah. could just talk. And then they said, get on YouTube. And I'm like, <laughs> anyway, but uh, can I get personal with you? Yeah. So just going back to going up to the upper room and having the black people <laughs> shake up, uh, is is so as somebody who has been single for ten years? That's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think one of those pebbles, as we as humans, is that desire to sort of be in that romantic relationship? And in the upper room, it's not necessary because we're all just swimming in love, and we don't really need that. Yeah. What do you think about all that? Well, they answered something like this in a in a live stream recently and they said you know well the world becomes your lover at this level you know that's the difference yes and you know the idea that i tend to think i must be lacking in something because i'm not in you know a partnership with somebody that i love and i would enjoy i say i want that and i say i would enjoy that but there's probably a good reason i'm not and i suspect that if that's something that i will benefit from and can choose and can experience and can allow it will be there, you know, and that's, I have a, a part in that. But I don't know that these things, I mean, I have these things too, you know, I'm heavy and I have this, this virus thing and being in lockdown for a month and a half with my friend is shopping for me because I don't even drive at Costco. I'm coming up with these trays of food in my freezer. I'm going, oh, this is like my worst nightmare and my wildest dream <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> but I go, I should be, you know, I should look like my friend Aubrey Marcus, who's, you know, a muscle guy. And I should, I should, <laughs> I, I should. But and I fuck, you know, but I'm not. And does this negate who I am maybe for somebody or what I teach maybe for somebody? But I'm also some guy that for years used to channel and then smoke a cigarette out the window and then come back. So I've come a long way in terms of my, my self-healing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, I'm going to ask for you, actually, about the relationship, if that's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you say you're allowed to have it and you're not ready for it. But you almost say that as if you've got a secret. As if to say, when I'm ready, I'll do it. But you see, I think that this would be done your way. And I have to say, not through anybody's idea of who you should be or what it should look like. You're really done with that. 
this is like, this is going to be my person, my choice. And like you put the world up on warning with this. So there's a little bit, this is actually very good. So I actually think you may find yourself in one if you want it. Because um, you look at me like, uh-huh. Like you look at me like I know what I'm doing. Don't no, I'm looking at you like... Um... I've I was telling of, you what it felt like. Yeah, go I've on. I've kind of resigned to that I might just, you know, that this is it. And then that, yeah. that my work, that my work in this world is much more important than my personal desires. And, and that, you know, love doesn't come from the lover. Love comes from being in love with everyone. That's where yeah. I go. And then the personality me says, uh, actually, the personality me doesn't torture me as much anymore. She did probably for the first five years, wanting mm. that, wanting that, you know, relationship and yeah. not seeing anybody that I wanted to be with. And yeah. then another five years passes and still not finding anyone that I'd want to be with and think, well, maybe I just have to resign myself to that just being in love with the world is, yeah. is what this experience is. And that's fine. That's I hear wait and see. So that's what I'm just going to tell you. Okay. That's what I get when I tune in. I mean, I don't get it for myself either. And I'm in a similar okay. boat. And I'm more comfortable with my own company now than I think I've ever been. And I have to say this odd, you know, I was in a two week self, you know, self quarantine here on Maui when I arrived and I was living in a, a tiny house. It was like a little gypsy caravan, you know, it's astonishing with a little hot plate, cool. you know, and, um, and I actually loved it. You know, I didn't have anything that I was used to and I was becoming self-sufficient emotionally in a way that I don't know that I've really had to think about. Yeah. And I was so displaced that I had nothing, you know, I had to accept that. So I, I've been using this time oddly in, in, for my own well-being and learning. But I don't know that I need what I thought I needed. And that's what I learned in that tiny house. You know, right. I don't need, I don't need it. Right. I, what, what I do miss at times is, is good companionship, you know, and warmth. Those are the things, you know. I've been wanting to go back to New York this today and yesterday. I was like, oh, it's time. I want to go back to New York anyway. It's time. And things are improving there. But my dog is there, you know, yeah. and I miss my dog and I miss yeah. the familiarity of, of, of things. But do I need to go back? No, I don't think I do. You know, I don't. Do I, do I need a partner? I don't know that I do. Mm. I would welcome one, truthfully. Mm. But I will say this, who I would attract now would not be who I would have attracted two to five years ago or 10 years ago, Absolutely. God knows. When I, when I look at my, my last long-term relationship, I would never do that again. I learned from it. I'm glad I was in it. I don't have any bad feelings, but that's not an experience I would choose to replicate. I'm you know, hearing you. <laughs> Self-worth is, is in a very different place than it was than, you I know, feel back like in those days. a relationship would so interrupt the work too because you, it's so time-consuming being in a relationship. But anyway, I'll, I'll get yeah. off this question. There's a few mm -hmm. more. How are you going? Are you all right? Because a couple... We're more. okay. We're mm -hmm. okay. Okay, what has been... I've asked that question. In addition to living out the teachings of the guides, are there any particular ways we can help children learn, embrace and generally not forget what they inherently know from a divine perspective? Do the guides have any children's material planned? I hear love them as they are. I hear children have to choose this when they're ready, when they're ready and their choice is heard and their choice is heard. But the time 
but in the meantime, love them as they are, love them as they are. Don't try to mold them into what you want. Protect them as you can. Protect them as you can. Love their wisdom. Love their wisdom. It's often higher than what you think. It's often higher than what you think. And show them who they are by loving them. And show them who they are by loving them. Not by telling them, be, not by telling them who they should be. Period. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Beautiful. 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 All right. There's a question I think you've answered. What do you have any regrets since beginning the work? I think we've covered that general comment. I have grown so much since I began studying the work. Mm -hmm. It has truly been transformative for me. I'm going to cry again from the vibrational level to manifestation. Thank you for your willingness to be the vessel that brings this material forward. Thank you to the guides for the material. The world is a better place for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think sweet. that's from Angela. I haven't written the name down. For the guides, if this time expounds on the idea of embodying the divine self, does this mean that one eventually gets to point in which the small self diminishes now what is she saying here does this mean oh. that one eventually gets to a point in which the small self diminishes or is it simply that we are no longer ruled by the small self well i hear reactive. both are true both are true both are true say this yes what i've heard from the guides is that the true self assumes the small self right. it appropriates it you know and they talk about that as really you know, I, there's different words they use. One of them is, has been resurrection, the resurrected self, you know, and they talk about the will sort of aligning to the, the personal will aligning to the higher and that the higher, which is in higher vibration, sort of supports the unification of the will. Um, but I don't think it's ever been the teaching that we stop being who we are. We become who we truly are. And, you know, they've said things like, you know, the personality self has its place. I mean, they're not you know, denying, or I guess people would call it the ego, they call it the personality self or the mask. They are saying that the masks are releasing, the costumes are releasing, and that's part of the challenge that we're going through. They're saying to say this, you know, one of the first things I ever heard in channel, I'm 99% sure I heard it and didn't read it someplace because I wrote it down and stuck it in a book. And, and I was struggling. I was again in my early 30s. And what I heard was freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And I thought, what the hell does that mean? But that's the essence of the teaching, which is who sits in the throne? Is it the personality self? You know, and my personality self is either frightened or angry or wants to know what people think of him and you know, wants to, to, to control outcome, or the true self who just knows and could care less you know, about those things. And I understand that is the teachings, finally, of the books. You know, who sits in the throne? The guides say the small self rules a small kingdom. And the guides teach the kingdom or the true kingdom as the, the realization of the inherent divine that's in all things. Oh, okay. Well, I just have to repeat that. The small self rules the small kingdom. Yeah. And the divine self, say that again, and the divine I self. I don't know how I said it. The divine self, you know, knows itself, knows itself in consort with the kingdom of all, with the kingdom of all, which all is the things. divine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the kingdom, they say, is the realization of the inherent divine that is all Everything. things. Mm. Yeah. That's, how, that's when you live in the kingdom, you're living in, in union with source and, and that awareness. You can kind of get out of this notion of celebrity in the world of, in the world of men and you can kind of expand out into the all things being the universe and the cosmos mm -hmm. and the multidimensional mm -hmm. realities and 
and you can sort of talk about ETs and other dimensions, you know, all things, all things, not just Hollywood or money or, you know, like all things. Yeah. Exactly right. Yep. Everything. Everything. The gods have said, you know, even, even fear is of God. It just doesn't know it. Yeah. You know, fear is, fear is actions to deny the divine, you know, and fear. And somebody once said, well, is, if, if all things are of God, is what about fear? And they said, fear is of God too. It just doesn't know it. Yeah, and, and and the reclaiming of things is, involves the reclaiming of fear, not you cauterizing. About the small but, self, or the personality self, or the ego self. We've given many labels, labels mm-hmm. as the mask. And as you were talking, mm-hmm. and you were saying wearing the mask, you know, I was thinking of people that go to to, to balls, or like mm-hmm. I have a friend here, Jasper, who puts on a big uh, rave parties, and they're non-alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. And but he usually asks you to dress up. And he gives mm-hmm. you a theme. And so it's fun to put on the mask. It's fun to dress up. It's great. But that's what we incarnate with. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I'm going to show up in this lifetime as a, you know, I don't know, pick pick or something as a, as a, as a Republican accountant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> two abusive parents and, a, and an alcoholic wife. Wow. <laughs> My friend Natalie Sudman, um, who wrote a wonderful book called The Application of Impossible Things. Which well, is Natalie and I had Natalie on the show a few years ago. Oh, we great. became great friends. We spoke yeah. about you. I think I interviewed uh, you too. Anyway. You might have. Yeah. We're buddies now, so yeah. that worked if that was you. And, um, but she talks about, you know, about what happened to her. When she went, when she got blown up in Iraq, and she came back saying, "Oh, maybe just give me give me one eye. Maybe just you know, yes. like I'll learn through all these things." Yeah. Because what we experience is so terrible here. We're actually seeing as opportunity, you know, in a higher way to Absolutely. to have the myriad of experiences that are available to us in form. Yes, that was the thing that knocked me out about her book is that experience of her in the higher realms, mm-hmm. laughing with her guides as she was experimenting with different disabilities that she would have yeah. after the That just blew me away. But it also, like your books, it also reminded me, it took me back to that remembrance of this, this earth life is our play, is our mask ball. If yeah, you, it is. It, it's, and that we're having fun with it, you know, like people do at Halloween. They, they yeah. dress up as these ghouls and they have fun with it. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, a couple of last questions. Where are we? Where are we? I think this is the last one. Explain. Yep, that, yeah. The guides say only the ego, the love self needs self-help. When you are in the upper room or more your true nature, do you don't need self-help. Does this mean that you don't need to process our stressful thoughts when we are experiencing them? What do, you, what do we do when we hit a limiting thought or mm-hmm. a self-sabotaging or critical thought? Yeah, so they're asking... Um, yeah. Like, so the guides say only the small self needs self-help when you're in the upper room, you mm-hmm. don't need self-help. So when you are the small self, well, I don't, I don't know that that's what they say. I mean, oh. they, they've said that they don't write self-help books, books and they say self-help is for the small self. Right. And there's nothing wrong with self-help. That's just not what they're teaching, you right. know? So, um, the difference, let me ask them, the difference is the level you wish to attend the problem. The, the difference is the, the level that you, you wish to attend to the problem with exactly right. So here's the illustration in the upper room, there's no fear. Mm-hmm. And so in the workshops that I, I conduct, you know, or the guides conduct, they bring everybody to the upper room and they say, okay, now what are you afraid of? And nobody's afraid of anything. And it's this bizarre experience because we're so used to it. 
-hmm. Now, in the upper room, if you can maintain the upper room, you're not calling to yourself those things. However, if there's things to, you need to learn through fear, you'll go back down and learn them that way. You know, I'm not exempt from fear at all, but I'm not frightened of some of the things that I used to be mm -hmm. or in the same way that I used to be. So I think, you know, you can deal with a problem through, say, psychotherapy or through a 12-step program, and there are effective ways of working through a problem. Mm -hmm. And I've benefited from both of them in my time. Mm -hmm. Or you can benefit through alchemy, which is really an, sort of an energetic re-knowing of self, where you're no longer self-identifying through or as the problem. And that's one of the big challenges, you know, I have and we have. You know, the guides say, you know, we all have these frames that we're walking around. And the purpose of the, you know, the purpose of the frame is to fill itself with what it expects. So if my frame is, I will never be loved, <laughs> I'm always calling that to me. So mm -hmm. the purpose then is to release the frame. There's different ways to do it. But you, it's very hard to do it when you think the frame is telling you the truth and that that is who you are. The guides teach the true self. Now, the true self knows that that's not possible, that everybody is worthy of love. How could that not be true at that level? Mm -hmm. So you go to that level to understand it, and then you can collapse the frame or the belief system. It's just a different way of attending to it. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Love it. Does connection to a higher mind or higher self just dissolve our limiting thoughts. Yes, does the connection to a higher mind or higher self just dissolve our limiting habitual subconscious thoughts? So everyone it, has a has a like yeah. a program of habitual limiting thoughts that they've got from yeah. parents and school and media. Mm -hmm. And so does just connecting like in that moment of like having a limiting thought, like I'm too fat and, no, and anyone's never going to love me, which is a thought I go. Mm -hmm. uh, do, do I just connect to the higher mind and like it just dissolves that? Uh, they're saying yes, it's true, but it's not true. But I hear it's not magical thinking. If you have belief systems, if you have belief systems that you've attended to, that you have attended to, informed and created, and formed and created and adhered to, and adhere to, they are your creation. They are your creation. You have to release them, and you need to release them. It is not a magic wand. It is not a magic wand. If it was a magic wand, if it was a magic wand, you would all be skinny. You would all be skinny the moment you decided you could be. The moment you decided you could be, there may be acts to take. There may be acts to take. Actions to take. Actions to take. Choices to make. There may be choices to make and you must release the need and you must release the need or the idea of self or the idea of self that you are seeking from that you are seeking to confirm through what you've chosen to know through what you've chosen to learn through right so i mean yeah, go on yeah i'll leave it there. well i was just gonna say last question and then we'll okay. let you go for a swim at the beach because it's afternoon yes. in maui mm. there so, so from is. sarah what can an individual do or be to contribute how are we attracting outcomes? How can we help turn this? What's this? How can we help this from higher good? No, how is the crisis perfect? Where do I put my focus? That's about 600 questions right there. So yeah. let's start with one. What can an individual do to contribute? I think we've covered that. How can mm -hmm. we affect outcomes? Mm -hmm. I think she's talking about well, the crisis we're going through. How is this crisis yeah. perfect? I think we've covered that. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say this, if I may, and just because it's a general teaching. You know, the guides say we are in accord with everything that we see. 
And people like to say, you know, I created this, I created that, and or I didn't create the virus. And, you know, so, well, I didn't create the virus, but I'm also in accord with this experience that we're all sharing and their collective agreements to learn. Yes. So I didn't create the war in the Middle East, but I'm in accord with it. And the consciousness that I hold is informing everything that I see. And that goes to this idea of what you damn damns you back. Right. And, so, and what you bless blesses you. And to see when the guides say who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. And that's personal responsibility and nothing more. So, you know, you can have an experience, I think, of anything at any level. It's not wishing things away or deciding that they don't exist. The guides would actually say, if you can see or know the presence of the divine in whatever you see, whatever you see is actually altered and changed by that knowing. That's vibrational accord. That's how things are lifted. So the one who lifts to the upper room has to be there. You can't lift something to the 10th floor from the basement. You have right. to get there and then lift it to you. And this isn't done through strength of will. It's done through alignment. Absolutely. So the aspect of self that operates in the higher level by nature of presence is already lifting because that's the teaching of co-resonance. Yes. So I hope that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah, when you're in the upper room, you, uh, you naturally lift other people to the upper room. Look, I met a friend recently at the beach, beautiful girl. She works in the corporate world, but she's such mm -hmm. a beautiful, she volunteers for all the events that we put on and she's just there helping everyone all the time. But she emailed me afterwards and she said, we were talking about her back pain. I wasn't giving her a teaching or mm -hmm. a healing. I was just telling her how worthy she is, how helpful she is. I was just reminding her of how beautiful she is, right? And she said, mm -hmm. I've had this back pain for years. And when I got home after that talk or that walk with you, mm. I didn't have a back pain. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And it's just that easy, right? Yeah, you, just, yeah. you just live in love and you just spread that and it kind of lifts people up to the upper room yeah i agree yeah paul selick it's been such a blessing thank you oh thank you so much for having me i've enjoyed this very much yeah it's thank been beautiful much. enjoy maui and i really look forward to seeing you down under one day soon well uh -huh. maybe not this year maybe next year when you know everything returns to well i don't think it'll ever be normal but when we can get together again. <laughs> I look forward to it too. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Oh, what a beautiful conversation with the delicious Paul Selig. Oh, my nose was running all the way through that, so I kept muting myself as I had a bit of a sniff. But, um, yeah, it's really odd when I, get on, uh, when I uh, get on these things. My nose just goes crazy. It's something to do with my third eye. I don't know what it is. Energy energy moves through it and it just starts running energy running um how beautiful well I, I i hope that you enjoyed that and that you all know what the upper room is i should have asked him to actually explain exactly what the upper room is uh just being in your divine presence in that place where you have no fear where you're in unconditional love when you can see all things as unified where you understand that this um this, this life that we live is the, is the leela, the play of the universe and that you're participating in the play, but you're, you're enjoying it and you're a part of it, but you are not it. You're not your body, you're not your emotions, you're not your thoughts, you're, you're participating in the masquerade ball, if you like, dancing in the masquerade ball and you can enjoy it, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. 
and uh, not live in fear. That's the upper room, the divine self. And I have to say, I think, I feel, I know, that's where a lot of ETs live. That's where they reside. That's, that's how they live. They understand their divine nature as their true self and that they are participating in some sort of um, experience uh, that they cherish, but it's, it's not who they are. It's, it's just they're participating in it. And um, I think that when humanity reaches that stage, we can have more, uh, we can live more as a, in a cosmic consciousness, um, you know, live together, communicating and, and living with them. I was having a walk with a friend yesterday on the beach and we were discussing many things <laughs> many things he's beautiful David and uh, we were talking about um, vibrations because he keeps saying I don't I you know I know I'm connected to the ETs but I don't see them I've never seen a craft I've never seen an angel I've never seen an apparition I've never seen I've never seen expecting to have some experience through his five physical senses you know and we were talking about vibration. We're looking out into the sky. I have to post the pictures. I took so many beautiful pictures yesterday on Facebook. Uh, just the clouds. It was like nature was just singing to us last yesterday. There were rainbows. There was this sunset. There were these pink clouds. There was, it was just magnificent. So we're looking out to see out to the clouds and seeing if we could see craft. And I said, you know, my guides were saying to me that they exist in a different vibration. They exist in the upper room, right? And so... It's a faster vibration. It's like the it's like equating it to a fan or a propeller on a on a um, a plane. When the propeller is still or slow, you can easily see it through our apparatus of our there are our eyes, our physical eyes. But when the propeller speeds up, it literally becomes invisible, and we can't perceive it through our eyes. So that's why we can't perceive many ETs because they're vibrating at a different frequency. They're, they're higher, it's faster, it's a faster frequency. And so our physical eyes can't perceive them. So in order for them to come into the awareness of something that we can perceive through our physical senses, they have to literally lower their vibration, the speed of their vibration. Um, same with dead people, same with angels, <laughs> which is all possible, they can do that but that's when we can perceive them or we have to lift our vibration, raise our vibration. And then we are more in accord, more a vibrational in a similar vibration to them. And then we have access to them. We, we can perceive them better. So that's with your dead relatives too. If you want to chat to your dead relatives or the guides or the mob or raising your vibration, which means um, letting go of some of your stressful limiting thoughts but it was really interesting, the conversation, the question that Angela asked about how can the guides come through when you're in resistance and Paul goes into a friend of his dies of suicide and he's really, really upset and then he goes and he starts teaching and they come through really easily. And uh, that was really interesting that regardless of his vibration, he's made an agreement with them that that would happen. And so in that case, he didn't need to raise his vibration they just move him aside and come through but that's an agreement that they've made before he even got to earth i'd say that was fascinating wasn't that fascinating <laughs> i love paul and i love natalie sudman too i have to get her back on the show i haven't had her on for a couple of years she came in a few times into the inner sanctum she's a, she's a beautiful she's a delight we became instant friends we did some swaps on each other it was lovely Oh, that was beautiful. I'm going to be 
floating in the upper room for the rest of the day. It's morning here in, in Sydney, Australia, and um, I'm on a bit of a high after that. It was nice to see Paul so joyful, jolly and jovial and laughing. And I think that's the first interview where I've seen him so jovial. And I think that, as I say, Mao is, is it's helping him. So that was really lovely, really beautiful. I hope you all enjoyed that. I'm, I'm raving, aren't I? Anyway, who's coming up next? I don't know, somebody. <laughs> In a sanctum, we have the most beautiful sound Hathor transmission, uh, Jane Elworthy coming into the inner sanctum to speak her wisdom and do some sound healing. You know, I really miss the physical um, sessions that we do. I, I do a lot of sound. I go to a lot of sound healers here in Sydney and have sound activations. And I have to say that as beautiful as they are online, it's really much better when they're in the physical. There's a different, you know, it all depends on microphones and how you're listening to it, but there's a different resonance and vibration when it's in the physical, but it still does work on the computer. I have to say, because it is energy that lives outside of time and space and you can still uh, acclimate to that energy even if you're not even hearing it that well you can still tune into that energy and, and have that energy benefit you and your frequency in your body and all things and uh, she's just delightful she's delightful we had kevin briggs uh, the other day and he's just a delight as well i don't know if you've seen the show with kevin briggs but we had a few people online and i invited my friend david online and that we go for walks and chat. David's a delight. He's going to come on the show and share some of his lovely stories because he's just a galactic being with so many amazing stories. Uh, even though he doesn't see anything with his physical things, as he says, physical senses. Uh, but um, he was saying that he had a profound sort of experience during the inner sanctum with Kevin that so many answers had been answered and he felt completely... Um, comfortable in his skin after listening to Kevin's story because Kevin is just this amazing galactic being who's come here to uh, share his share his experiences but up until a couple of years ago he said that he was going to go to his grave and never tell the world because it, they were so extraordinary and he just figured the world doesn't get it and that's fine I can live a happy life and not tell people what I experienced anyway watch the shows I did with Kevin I'll upload the highlights or some of the highlights soon when I get around to editing out some of the highlights. And uh, yes, we are in extraordinary times and how you view it is your choice. No judgment. You can view it as a tragedy, as a crisis, as a drama, or you can view it as an incredible acceleration of opportunity, a, um, an acceleration on your spiritual path, on your spiritual growth to really start to live what you have been reading or listened to on the shows to really start to become as to use Paul's words or the guide's words to come into accord with the vibration of what you know to be true or what you understand to be true and really start to live it which means not getting uh, too caught up in stressful thoughts love you all <laughs> see you again soon bye for now